Hello, product innovators. Today, we learn from a lecturer and manufacturing author on the mindset and people management skills required to succeed in hardware. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, the show that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product developers, manufacturers, and hardware industry professionals. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to getting your product on store shelves. We're taking you step-by-step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Hosted by Kevin Mako, one of North America's leading experts on hardware development for small product businesses. Now, on to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Karen Lidner to the show. Karen is the author of the book, Make Manufacturing Sexy. She was also an instructor at Sheridan College and consults many manufacturers on human resources and performance. Today, Karen is going to share some valuable knowledge on how inventors, startups, and small manufacturers can understand the people needed to succeed in building a hardware company and the critical mindset both you and your team needs to be the best. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Karen, welcome to the show. Hi, Kevin. So great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks. I'm glad to have you on the show. I mean, many years ago, you had me keynote at your book launch. So it's been a long time. We've known each other and it's great to see you're doing well. I'm very excited for you today to talk about making manufacturing sexy, Yeah, the title of your book, of course, and Mm -hmm. as well, how that applies to people on mindset for all these hardware startups that are developing their products and businesses, either developing their own manufacturing, becoming a manufacturer, working with a manufacturer, or developing a product to be manufactured. This topic is very important. So first and foremost, how did you get to where you are today? Good, good question. I used to work at Magna International, and that's really where I discovered my passion for the manufacturing industry. And I started to realize that oftentimes people don't understand each other. So the leaders have their own challenges and the workers have their challenges. And so there was a huge communication gap. By the end of 2006, I lost my job due to manufacturing. And I decided to start my own business, solely focusing on the manufacturing industry and help them to bridge this communication gap. That's how I started. And then I posted a discussion on LinkedIn. How can we make manufacturing sexy? And I got within two weeks, 450 responses to this question. Wow. And I started researching because then this became really interesting for me. I always wanted to write a book. I didn't really know what to write about. And the title of my book was born. That's amazing. So give us some insight to the book. What do you mean when you say, how can we make manufacturing sexy? If we would go to young people and to ask them what they want to do with their life, manufacturing is not really the top thing on their minds because there is still this image of manufacturing is dirty and not interesting, but there is so much technology now involved, what is really, really interesting for young people. So, And it's also about convincing uh, the parents that This is actually huge. Not every child needs to go to university. There is so much opportunity in this industry. And I know you work in product development and with hardware startups. The possibilities are endless to go into this space. I always say, and I said it in my book too, we don't need more lawyers and accountants because it will be very (laughs) difficult for those children to find a job. It's funny you mentioned that because... A lot of the time, I remember in the early days when I would be filling out forms online, like directories and such, and they would say, what industry are you in? 
well, I'm in the product development industry. We make the gadgets that are around the world for clients. And that's not a subject in so many of these lists. So I would have to pick something else like professional services or some generic term because of the hundred plus industries that you could list manufacturing or product development or product engineering wasn't even on the list. Although if you look around your room right now with every listener that's out there, yourself, myself, we're surrounded by products. Products Mm -hmm. are incredibly important. They're a huge piece of our ecosystem and as the human race. So it's amazing that you wrote a whole book to highlight that and to really show that manufacturing is special. And it really is something that especially for our listeners out there that are hardware startups and in the development space and creating something, I think never before has it been as good as it is now to say that you are in the manufacturing space, that you're developing a cool new gadget or product, that you're innovating in hardware. Karen, you've been a part in that history to help make people realize that it's a very important part of the planet. Of course. And I can remember when I when I wrote this book, I had people telling me, Karen, why are you writing this book? We develop into a service industry. And I said, servicing what? We cannot just cut each other's hair and, you know, sell each other coffee. There is huge money in making things and every good economy needs manufacturers. That's just the essence of everything. And so I I really wanted to highlight with my book about all the opportunities that there are, especially also like for for startup companies, what they can consider compared to how it was in the industrial age and how we develop now into the conceptual age, like more creativity, different way of thinking, different way of communicating. That's what it is all about. And it's so important to inspire people to go ahead when they have an idea to go ahead and develop that product. Well, it's much appreciated you saying that. Now let's dive deeper into those subjects so that from your experience, your research, all the work that you've done over many, many years on this subject, you highlight a couple of things that I think are very important for the listeners to understand and develop in their product. One, you focus on the importance of communication and people skills within hardware startups, working with either building a factory or working with factories, working with their various stakeholders, and how important understanding best practices and communication is. So I'd like to jump into that. I'd also like to go into mindset because you've done a lot of work on that as well in the manufacturing sector and some of the best practices around that for hardware startups to learn from. So let's start on the people side and communication. Give us some of the understandings and best practices of what really works well and what people can think about in and around the subject of creating good communication in and amongst their stakeholders, primarily their manufacturing. There are a lot of limiting beliefs, right? So one would be I'm a technical person. I'm just not good in communicating. So this would be one one of them. And it's important to understand you cannot teach an old dog new tricks. In my work, I have proven that you can. Anyone who is open and willing to learn communication is a skill like any other skill can be learned. And when a hardware startup, for example, starts to build a team, It is important to look, obviously, for the right people. Every company wants, obviously, to get the right people on the team. But oftentimes, the skills are not there to really find those people. Now, I want to tell you what I mean specifically by that. I used to work in HR at Magna, and that's when I realized how many people work in HR and actually do not like people. (laughs) And 
It's true. They go in for policies, for procedures. A great way of hiring when you are in a small company is actually showing interest. What does the person like to do in their personal time? So, for example, if you hire, let's say, a marathon runner, I use this as an example because I love to run marathons, but it shows you a lot about the personality of the person, goal-oriented, dedicated, committed to accomplish something, really resilient. It has a lot to do with mindset. So you would want to look for, does the person have a passion in their personal life? If they don't have that, how can they bring this to work? As a startup, especially, you want to have some pretty driven people. I don't know. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, that's key. Hiring and people skills are so important, especially when you think about the product design manufacturing space. I really like how you mentioned the concept of the fallacy that people say, well, I'm a more technical-minded person, so I'm not really good at pitching my ideas or presenting. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a huge roadblock in a hardware startup. If you have a very technical founder and a very sales-oriented founder, and they're not working well and communicating well together, Mm -hmm. you are missing a lot of opportunity that's on the table there. And now that's Mm -hmm. just two stakeholders. You've got your design teams, you've got your manufacturing partners, your patent attorneys, your marketing crew, maybe some finance folks. You've got a whole bunch of different people here that have different styles of communication when it comes to manufacturing a new product. And Mm -hmm. it's really important to lubricate. And I love how you mentioned that to get the conversation going, understand what's going on in their personal life and what they believe in and love. doesn't have to be the same interest as you, but it certainly might tell a lot about a person to see if this is a long-term fit with what you believe your corporate culture or your corporate attitude is going to be to succeed as a new product or a new manufacturer. A hundred percent. And then also like asking them about the expectations so that you know from the get-go, what kind of work environment do you expect to get into? What is important for you rather than going into the interview? It's like, I'm the boss. You want something from me. Uh, many of the young people don't respond well to that. So they want to contribute. They want to have a voice. And they definitely want to tell you also what their expectations are. So it has to be give and take on both sides. That's very, very important. How do you build these structures into either the hiring process or once somebody is actually in the company? And whether it's you're hiring a contractor or whether you're hiring an employee, a lot of these principles, I would think, are the same. You want to have the same commitment from somebody who you are hiring as a vendor to do a specific job or whether you're hiring an individual person to fill a specific role that you're hiring as an employee, especially as a hardware startup that only has a few limited amount of stakeholders, you really want to have that team continuity. Yeah. So how do you put that together? How do you, or what are some of the practices that you've seen that, from people who really do that well? The first thing is, is really to start thinking, what kind of team do I want to build? What do I want to create? And I want to give myself as an example. When I first started my business, being an entrepreneur, starting something from nothing to build it, I went out to clients and I only thought about what I thought was great. And I didn't ask enough questions. This was probably my biggest mistakes with potential clients, but also with people I worked with. Ask questions. What is their point point, pain point? It's not about me. It's all about them. This is important for hardware startups. If they want to communicate this to other people, 
they definitely have to learn this because it doesn't help you when you are the smartest person in the room, when you have the most fantastic product. If you cannot communicate this message, then this is very, very complicated to do. To go back to your question, I would just say thinking first what you want is important. And that's a challenge for many because they don't really know what they want, what team they want to create. And then going from there and really see in what areas would I need help and in what areas can I manage myself? When people come in, make them feel special, make them feel you are about to create something really fantastic and not that you come in and say, hey, I'm just at the beginning. I don't really know what I want. This is not really attractive for people. I totally agree with that. And the nice thing about being a hardware startup is that every person that you bring on the team, whether even before you start hiring, whether it's an advisor or somebody who you're just reviewing your product with for customer feedback, or whether it's a design team you've hired like us at Maco Design, either way, you have very few stakeholders. Every one of those stakeholders is very special to your business. They're all doing something very big overall. You're not just one in 10,000. You're one in five or one in 10 of people who are hopefully following your dream, believe in your vision. And that's why they've come on board for mm -hmm. some reason or another, they're with you because they believe in what you're doing. So you need to believe in what you're doing. And I would say one of the more interesting exercises that we went through in the early days of building Maco Design, and it's something that you can do even if you haven't got to the hiring portion of your hardware startup yet, or even if you're still trying to figure out what that might eventually look like, I just build out a little org chart. Mm -hmm. I did it when we had three people, actually one of our designers, Rob Colgan, we did it together, who's still with us today. We built it together and we said, man, what would it look like if we actually got this firm to like a 10 person design house? To us, it yeah. was like the holy grail. Like we would never get there, but let's dream. Let's put it on paper because we were two and a half people at the time, really, let's say. And now here we are, a 30 person team years later. And it was amazing to see that just putting that small, simple org chart shining star, not only did it give us some clear and directional vision, but it allowed us much earlier to start making decisions that helped make that happen or to improve that as we realized that slightly changing things would make it better over time so that we had a better shining star to continually shoot towards as we perpetually improved. And all of these things come back to feedback which is something I guess you find very important, especially when you mentioned ask the questions, which I think is so brilliant because it's the easiest way for you to get engagement with minimal effort. Just simply yes. ask questions of the people around you. Let them respond to let you know what they're interested in, what makes them tick, what do they appreciate or not appreciate about your product, yourself, and or your business. Mm-hmm. 100%. And you know what you just said is just such a great example. Thinking first, what do I want? building from their division. Like here's one thing what I would say could be done differently. Build the org chart upside down. So let's ah. say that Kevin Marco is at the bottom. How does he serve his management team? And how do they serve the next group of people? So Brilliant. basically what this does is really, it's often talked about this kind of servant leadership style, but when you have it in the org chart like this, rather than showcasing to the people, I'm at the top and you are just at the bottom. Or when people say to me, people work under me. I'm like, nobody works under you. They work with you. This is like such a great concept of thinking about, does my team have everything they need to succeed? May this be training, may this be 
all the tools they need to have in order to help you to fulfill the vision, what you have as the business owner. That's amazing. And that's such an easy thing that anybody could do today. It's really a fun exercise as well. Yes. Write it down, sketch it out, build it over time, save it somewhere and do it either your own or with your team or try it with different stakeholders or different folks and get different answers and get some feedback. But it's something that can be done very easily that I'll tell you, very few hardware startups do. They're very focused on the product, which of course, as somebody who runs a product design firm, I also agree is probably the most critical part of a hardware startup. You've got to build a great product, Mm -hmm. but keep in mind that once you build a great product, you've got many other things to think about. People are always going to be a big part of that, which is why this topic is so important. I appreciate having you on the show for this. So in and around the theory of people, you also talk a lot about mindset and how that can also factor into all of this to create a great hardware organization. Can you talk a bit about some of the high-level strategies in and around mindset and some best practices that hardware startups can think about? 100%. I would say the most important thing is to think about the things what you want rather what you don't want. That sounds very basic, but really 70% of the population think about what they want to get away from Mm. rather than about what they want to create. And it again comes back down to this exercise of figuring out what I want. And it has to do with uh, positive communication, not only to other people, but in your mind. And when you start something, as you know well, Kevin, and I have done it as well, you have to build this resilience when you have those crappy days, how you can manage yourself to talk yourself out of it. And a lot of it has to do with the story you tell yourself about yourself, about your success story and where you want to bring your product so easy to say, oh, it doesn't go well and I have to go back in a job and it doesn't work out to have those kind of thoughts or really become aware of the thought process that you have. Everybody can learn that. And I want to give a personal example again. When I thought, for example, oh, I don't get this client because my company is too small, then I would say out loud, here's my bullshit story again. Of course, I will get the client because I'm the best. So it's really about changing the thought process consciously. And most people are not aware what's going on in their head and how easy they manipulate their own success. And sometimes they are just two feet away from gold and they give up. That's incredible. I mean, there's a lot to unpack within what you said. The whole glass half full thing is not just a nice line to say, I have seen this firsthand. I have got to work on well over a thousand hardware projects. And you can very much see the difference between the type of designers and engineers, inventors, ideators, companies, you name it. The team that's working on the project, if they are the pessimistic sort, the focus on the problem sort, although it may seem logical in engineering and somewhat is framed in engineering, you do want to search for the problems, but you're not searching for the problems to identify what they are. You're searching for the problems to figure out what the solutions are. Mm-hmm. So solutions are really what your mind should be focusing on, not dwelling on the problem itself. And yes. although that seems maybe obvious or logical, I completely agree with you, Karen. I see this quite regularly. A lot of the time with hardware startups, they get frustrated. They dwell on the what ifs, they dwell on the negativities, and they don't focus on the positives that are coming out of it. And many of those positives are huge equity values for their actual product. 
Mm-hmm. Overcoming a hurdle, overcoming failure is incredibly valuable to businesses. 100%. Learning from that variable is extremely valuable. So focus on solutions, glass half full, optimism. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, looking at many, many, many projects, it almost always unanimously leads to a better result than those who are focusing on it in complete negativity. hundred percent. And, you know, just so funny, my book actually has two forewords. I don't know if you remember, one is for optimists and one is for pessimists. <laughs> so I thought I speak to everyone this way. But what you just said about failure, and I mean, this is an important topic because I think every entrepreneur has dealt with this. I reframed the word failure. Failure is really only there when you give up. So I call it feedback. I get feedback what works and what doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, I have to look for a different way of doing it. So this could be like getting a client, getting a meeting with someone. Okay, this didn't work. Like, how can I become more creative to get in front of the person? This is really huge because you wouldn't believe how many people are afraid of failure and you got to make friends and failure your friend. Those are the stepping stones to get to where you want to be. That's such a powerful mindset. And of course, that comes back around full circle to what we were talking to originally with people. If you're looking to attract people who are good communicators, who are positive, who are encouraging each other, who are encouraging discovery through failure, then that is a big part, particularly in a hardware startup. And it really doesn't matter if it's your part-time accountant that you've hired all the way through to you know your creative industrial designer. All of them need to have this kind of theory of improvement, perpetual growth, learning through failure, finding opportunities, finding the solutions, as opposed to dwelling on either the past or on the negatives. And through that, if you have that collaboratively as a team, that'll exponentially accelerate everything from your development cycle to your marketing materials, to the growth of your financing, to the business, everything else that comes along with it. 100%. The people who tell me they make no mistakes, I always tell them, this shows me that you don't try anything new. Because if you try something new, it's impossible not to make any mistakes. I don't know about you, but I certainly cannot say I've never made any mistakes. It's just so important for all those startups that listen today that have big dreams. I actually want to share something which I think could be super relevant. I'm sure you have heard about smart goals, but have you heard about dumb goals? So I think for those startups, they should uh, consider to really get into DAM goals. So what does DAM stand for? Dream-driven. The D stands for dream-driven. The U stands for uplifting. The M stands for method-friendly. And the B stands for behavior-driven. And to really think about those kind of things, I think every inventor, every startup, it starts with a dream. That's what they should keep in mind. The dreams to put them into reality, that's so important. Where would our world be without the dreamers, right? Absolutely. You've got to find your North Star because again, back to people, that's what's going to attract people and keep Mm -hmm. them there. Your dream, your vision, that's what you're building. It doesn't matter that you're not there yet. I love the example you gave of the client where people say, uh, and this happens all the time in hardware startups where they say, you know what, 
I'm never going to land that distributor. Their orders start at like a million dollars an order. I'm still small time. I'm just getting off the ground, right? That is absolutely not the case because what you have is you have an innovative product. You have something that they don't have on their shelves. You have something that's unique to the market. You have your own story that's behind it. You have some sort of unique branding, positioning. And of course, if you've done Karen's people job well, you've got a great team of people surrounding you that's helping execute on this dream that you've got. So Mm -hmm. all of this wraps into a big bow to say, Keep all of these initiatives front and center in your thinking, especially in a hardware startup, because it's not just about designing the product. There's all these bits and pieces that come in surrounding it to actually build that model. Whether you're looking to license a product, manufacture it yourself, manufacture it with a partner or anything else, all of these things still matter to achieve whatever goal it is that you're shooting for. Like one thing I also would like to stress, of course, I'm a trainer and a coach, but really I think every person should work with a coach. Just think about sports teams, right? Think about Roger Federer as a coach. Why? He's one of the best tennis players in the world. Why does he need a coach, right? The same is so true for business people. And I have seen it over the years, more and more people really invest in a coach, not only necessarily for skill development. It's all about mindset to help them to get at the top of their game and to stay at the top of their game. As soon people start to build their team, it it can become pretty lonely. If you have nobody to bounce ideas off, that's also something worth considering for every startup. It's worth the money, 100%. I love the idea, you know, mentorship, coaching, support, it really is important. Things that seem fluffy are actually some of the most important things. The more successful of an entrepreneur that you talk to, the less that they will tell you that they know. Now, Mm -hmm. of course, they're extremely knowledgeable in many things, but they will purposely surround themselves by people in each of their specific categories that are far more experienced than they are. And that is what creates a truly inspiring leader is somebody that can recognize that they are forever learning, that there is forever going to be field matter expertise that is far outweighing theirs in a specific segment or category, and then leaning on those people and listening to them, assuming Mm -hmm. that you are not the expert on all of these different things and trying to weigh in in a team framework, which is why I love so much about you telling us about the exercise of flipping the org chart on its head. Mm-hmm. Very powerful. We always looked at it too. We call it kind of the flat org chart at our firm where everybody is a valuable team member. It doesn't matter what the seniority or the rank is. Everybody has unique insight that is very valuable if you're willing to open up your mind and listen to all of those things and apply that forward to your business. Yeah, every person is an expert in, in something. And even when I go in training sessions or with my coaching clients, I always learn something from my clients. And if you have this mindset to be open, you can learn from every person. It doesn't matter if this is a shop floor employee or a customer. Really developing those listening skills and learning what are the challenges. And this will help anyone succeed in what they want to do. I remember a really interesting stat about drivers. It was something along the lines of, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but 80% of drivers think they're the best of the best 20% of drivers. Mm -hmm. It just goes to show you that it's human nature to assume that you are more of an expert than you think you are. So if you can recognize that in yourself and be humble about it, then that allows you to listen more. 
and to really reflect on the values of what other people are bringing to the table, which will, as you've seen in your research and as you've seen dealing with all sorts of people is incredibly valuable for the long-term performance of your product. And we're talking financially. What seemed like somewhat spiritual or fluffy concepts really trickled down to the end of the day to more successful companies in general. Mm. Oftentimes we are legends in our own mind, right? And that's what we have to remember, <laughs> to step back, to reflect a little bit, not to doubt yourself. There's a big difference between self-doubt and reflection. Self-doubt is not good, but reflection is so important. Every time when I work with someone, I think about what could I have done better? And I'm sure when I get off the call with you today, I said, oh, I should have said this, I should have said that. <laughs> but Those reflection moments are critical. It's important not to beat yourself up over it. When you don't do something, just learn from it. Karen, much appreciated for you being on the show. And for anyone that wants to learn more about these topics, check out her book for sure. You can buy it pretty much anywhere at this point. I've seen it all over the place. Yeah, it's on Amazon. It's also translated now into Spanish. That's great. Karen, thanks again for being on the show. Much appreciated. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the original and leading firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product business clients. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com for a free consultation from one of Maco Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.